Welcome to the Dark Zone, an adventure racing podcast. <laughs> and the thing is like, the thing that I also think with this movie is that imagine how many archers out there still, they're going to be, he's going to get a new home. And also like, do you, and then the thing that I, I'm thinking too, is like, imagine if this movie can stop one abuse of a dog then it's a victory okay you people sit tight hold the fort and keep the home fires burning and if we're not back by dawn call the president you're going the wrong way what you're going the wrong way he says we're going the wrong way oh he's drunk how would he know where we're going yeah, how would he know? Thank you. Thanks a lot. Welcome to the Dark Zone. This is your host, Brian Gatens. Episode number 85. That's right, folks, 85. Hard to believe we're closing in on 100. Today's guest is Michael Lindnord. If you don't know who Michael is yet, you will know very, very soon, as he is played by Mark Wahlberg in the upcoming movie, Arthur the King. In this episode, we go deep on Michael's adventure racing experience. Arthur, the dog that he rescued while in Ecuador, and of course, the making of the movie, Arthur the King, in which he's an executive producer. We were delighted to have Michael come on the show. This is not the last time we'll hear from him as he loves to talk about adventure racing. We are delighted that you are here. Sit back and relax and enjoy this episode, the longest episode ever of The Dark Zone. Thank you to Jade Eagles from Wealth Garden Financial Services for sponsoring this episode. Jade is a fellow adventure racer who first started in Australia 15 years ago and recently completed the World Championship in South Africa. His other passion is helping individuals and their families establish a positive relationship with money and partnering with his clients to plan for a financially secure future. To learn more about Jade and his financial planning practice, The Wealth Garden, please visit www.thewealthgardenfs.com and drop him a note. That's www.thewealthgardenfs.com. As a listener of The Dark Zone, you know that we support Ascend Athletics. We encourage everyone to head over to ascendathletics.org and check out their new initiative called Invest in Her, an investment in the future of girls in places where access is limited. Ascend Athletics does a great job working with young women in Afghanistan and Pakistan through education, climbing, and other opportunities. We encourage all of our listeners to visit ascendathletics.org and check out Invest in Her. Thank you for being a listener, and thank you for supporting Ascend. And remember, Ascend pays nothing for this sponsorship. We like what they do and are proud to pass along word of their good work. But from a, a Dark Zone perspective, um, before Arthur was in your life, you were an adventure racer. Like you had some serious races, you had some championships. Can you, for, for the audience, can you, can you walk us through your adventure racing experience and tell us a bit about that? Oh, yes. Uh, uh, yeah, my, my career actually started at 1997. And that was the time period that uh, it was uh, the big races was Regalois and Eco Challenge. And I, I still remember because you have these VHI, you know, tapes mm -hmm. back, yep. back in the days. And I, 
I remember I saw like Eco Challenge like I don't know maybe ten times every every episodes and I I I really loved the sport like just from the start kind of and uh, my first race was or Extreme Challenge. It's still is Stefan is is the race director there. Uh, it's still a race. It was a solo race in in Aura. There where you go, you paddling, you run, and you and you bike. And I remember my first race there. It was not a big success. I think I finished maybe ninth or something like that, like one or two hours behind the winner. But I felt like, okay, this is it. This is my this is my sport. <laughs> uh, and this was the, actually the first time I really felt that because I, I played hockey, picked up the team when I was, uh, I think it was like 16, 17 years old. And I had a really hard time to find, because I'm an athlete, you know, I trained all my life. I enjoy sports. Uh, I always loved the adventure. It's always been interesting for me, you know, uh, especially with orienteering and, and night orienteering and, and winter and summer. I really like to be in the outdoors. And uh, it kind of also, but I was not really early bird. Like I was not the early talent. So the first, like... Um, you you were right first, around 20 years old then, right? Because you're born in 76. So, yeah, yeah. So, 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 so the thing, when I discovered my real passion for the outdoors was actually when I did my military service as the Green Berets in, in the north part of Sweden. It's called La Plasiega, Arctic Ranger. And that was the first time ever I kind of discovered that I have a talent. <laughs> and my talent is, like most of the adventure racers, is that you never give up. That's my. <laughs> we just don't quit, right? We just, we just yeah, keep going at it. No, you. That's 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 how you don't quit. It doesn't matter how hard it is. You, you never quit. You, as long as you can move your feet, you go. You you continue. And I think that's that was the thing that I discovered. And then after that, I did. Uh, it's called the ski mountaineer race called Kemnikaise Classic, and that was kind of the first time I I met uh, Eric Alström, and he was the founder of uh, or Extreme Challenge. And he said, oh, you should come to our extreme and, and, and do the race. You just need to river paddling and stuff like that. And I was like, well, okay, I can't river paddling. And he said, you learn, you learn. <laughs> and, and I think that was the first step. And then the first, like, expedition kind of racing I did a year after that, 1998, it was Teo, the Endless Odyssey. And that was the kind of the intro for me with the sport kind of. I did the... The Grand Tour the same year. It was also like a kind of a early, early, early racing of this. But I saw, you know, Newman uh, uh, Link, the, the peak performance, Mats Andersson and Michael Lemmel. Those guys, they were racing the Eco Challenge and, and those races. And I was like, wow, I want to do that one day. And, that, and that's kind of everything start for me. I, I started like, uh, it started for me like, uh, not a dream, but something that that could be done if I just fight for it. And and but I didn't have a, like a, I, even if I had sports the whole the whole career, I was not even like you can't say that I was like a good, really good athlete. I, I was okay, but not at the level that I, I uh, that I became later. Uh, so I, I tried to get into the sport. I was pretty good to. 
kind of get a little bit to sponsors and, and also get, I was also like a pretty early in adventure racing as a race director. So we, we had this first races like 2001 and that was high cost 600, high cost 400 was the first race here in my region. And it took two, three years. And then we, we had explore Sweden and that was adventure racing world series event. And we actually did the airborne expedition race. So we actually flew a big airplane between three destinations and, and then the racers, and then they had to catch the plane. And it was like, it was, I, it was, it was so, it was so fun. It was hard. It was very hard to, but that was kind of thing. And we continue to explore Sweden, more world series and 2006, I organized and was the race director for the World Championship in Norway and, and in Sweden. And that was also pretty good success. Uh, I still was racing, but I was okay racing. And continue with that for a couple of years and did events and stuff like that. But then it's like uh, Jon Karlsson, um, now uh, double world champion adventure racing. Me and him, we, we kind of knew each other from the start. Uh, I think it's, he was like 2001 on my race. And I think it was like 2007 or maybe, no, no, it was 2009. 2009, we kind of start racing together. And to be honest, I think we were really, really crap. We mm-hmm. did the Swedish motorsport series and he broke his arm and, and uh, we tried to continue, but he, he could really, he couldn't really paddle. I couldn't really run and bike. You know, we were like, <laughs> so I think we, we were like top, top seven, top eight, maybe at the, at the best in Sweden. And, and, but then he, <laughs> then John talks to, he said this to me, Mikey, we, we need to, we need to go harder. We need to. Uh, we need to go for it. Like, <laughs> and 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 the, the teams I've been racing before that this was more for enjoyment or do okay. But I think John opened a, what do you call it in English? Pedorian at to the Pedorian box. Pedorian's box. The, yeah, yeah, Pedorian's box. The minute he cracked open the box, everything kind of went went wild from there. Yeah, and uh, and he started like we we can't have this poor equipment. We need to have the best gear, like in the world champions, like in, in mountain biking, and and the, the, that's the thing that, that that made a shift for us. And he kind of it was so funny because after this world championship in South Africa, I I told John and said like, now you you talk about winning and and stuff like that, like for like. 12, 15 years ago. <laughs> and I was the only one that really, really, really understand you and, and thought that this, this was okay, okay thoughts uh, and it was possible. And he said, yeah, yeah, you, you were the only one. <laughs> well, that, that was funny because back then you were an early adopter. Like he was, he was professing a certain type of racing, a race style, preparation gear, and everyone's doing it now. But back then you were the only person that were kind of following along with that. 
Actually, we, we, we kind of did a lot of analyze the best teams and how they did it at that time. And at that time, you had, uh, of course, the New Zealand team. You have John Howard, you know, those those legends. Uh, but they kind of have a different type of racing that you do today. They are more, uh, they were more of uh, a force uh, of, of racing. Like they were stable. They didn't like rush. Uh, they were more like, that kind of type of racing, uh, but then I think it, the, the the speed came up, especially because of the those Chinese races, the stage races, with uh, and and I think that was also a big step for European team to catch up a little bit to the Kiwi teams, and uh, that that was one of the thing was that we actually start to train harder to uh, because we understand where we saw the. The big athletes like did uh, coast to coast and how fast they can travel. And, and when we when we start to see that, okay, we are not that far away, we kind of step up our game. And we were like, okay, let's do this full time and see if we can catch them. And and John John and me was that was the thought. They're like, okay, we do our best and we train much harder. Uh, we did this at professionals. Uh, I was eating good. Uh, we had the best equipment you can buy or get sponsored by. We didn't. We didn't. We didn't miss. The, and that's the thing. Like we had, like a, we thought, like a cake. And if you do all the small pieces, it will be enough for winning. And it took like, I think it took one and a half year, something like that. Then that, that transition made us win the first international race as a Swedish team. And we won in Costa Rica, 2010. Mm -hmm. And we were actually the favorites for the world championship to 2010. Uh, but then we get leptospirosa in Costa Rica. So right. we, 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 we couldn't race in, in uh, 2010, but that was the, that was the year that we did in Sweden, make the, make the big breakthrough and, and, at that year, it was a big, big breakthrough in Sweden because people saw that, okay, those guys can win, then we can win. And and that was a starting point for a lot of Swedish teams to step up, to, to actually uh, to, to believe that they, that, they, that, they can, that they can win. So that was actually a step. And I would say, like, me and Jan, and I, I remember we, we raced together for five years something like that and, and we, we we didn't have the navigation that was that you need to win those races so uh 2013 that was the last race together in, in uh, costa rica world championship and then we split and he and he made this adventure race in the swedish armed forces yes. team mm -hmm. 2014 and uh and they started and they were not that good in the beginning but they took step by step and and then now they are the best team in the world, you know. So, so, uh, but at that time we we were really really good, and we are still also very very good friends. Uh, so, uh, um, yeah, we speak almost every day. And I was like in the South Africa supporting and and helping the media crew uh, during the World Championships. So clearly, in uh, what you're saying with 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 Safet doing so well this year, World Championship, congratulations to them, and John doing so well, and. It sounds like you were instrumental in helping the natural uh, the, the identity that they had in Sweden about 
the outdoors are loved, sports are big, community is big, but you and John and that group, you kind of brought the entire adventure racing scene forward in Sweden, where now all yeah. of a sudden Swedish Armed Forces is, is the best in the world. Um, and so yeah. that goes back. And so that's over a, well over a decade ago, those things began to happen. Yeah. So that that was the transition. It was, uh, yeah. So that it took 10, almost 10 years because now even if uh, Avanya with Nata Power will come against Safat this year, I, I would not say that they could beat them. Uh, I, I barely think that. I think it would be a close call, but uh, Safat is, is very strong, especially for the teams that saw the race, how hard they are with the transitions, like how they force themselves to go out, even if they are freezing cold and, and how hard. It was so close. It was like uh, the, the breaking po- point, I think it was TA8, when it came from the mountains. Yeah. And, and, and the Safat did a fast transition, maybe 45 minutes, and they went out to bikes. And then the Estonian team came in. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but the thing is, like, they were just four or five hundred meters away from them. Right. Okay, they had made the transition, but it was just four or five hundred meters. But the Estonian, they kind of lost the race because they couldn't see them. Right. So so if they haven't done that fast transition, because they were really, really sore at that point, but if they don't have done that fast transition, uh, the Estonian will have gained new power and, and everything could happen from that point. But that, that was one of the strategies that Safat have, they are very, very hard to themselves. They fight all the time and uh, do tactical stuff. And I think they have a good navigator, of course, they have two good navigators now. Uh, but I think with John's like knowledge and tactics and, and, and strategy paid off, you know, because they were so tough to, to themselves. Um, also, too, John, over those years, John has always, and, and you're, you're in the same boat, too. The fact that John and, and, and the rest of the team, too, has so many years of experience. They've been through so much individually and together that those things, they come together during a race. Like, they knew to get out of the transitions quicker. They knew to do the navigation. They didn't, they, they, were, they were smart during the race. And that only comes over time and experience. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And, and also, like, you know, that that's... I I don't think there are so many races out there that are harder to themselves than John, for example. He, when, you, he when, take, when you say harder on himself, do you mean like the way that he, the way that he trains before the race, what he expects of himself during the race? Like where is his, as someone who knows him so well, and this is interesting for the audience, right? Like what is his, yeah. is it a mental thing? Is it a physical thing? Explain that a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. No, he, he's a very good trainer. First of all, he is trained trains a lot, but that's the physical part is, is is very good. He's very good biking. He has uh, he's very very good to paddle, especially to sit in behind to steer the boat. Uh, he also very good in rope works, the equipment, everything with that. He's good running. He's strong, um, but that's that's not his strong point. His strong point is whatever it takes. That's his strong point. Whatever it takes. People talk about whatever it takes. But he is whatever it takes. Uh, and his men- mental game is is he's very, very tough. Like I I, I you know, he's a spe- former special forces, like right. the Navy SEALs you have in the US, but he's this he's, he's former special forces. And uh, 
I think the background with that and also racing, uh, when we were racing, both him and we, we kind of the same background. I have also, that was also my strong point when I was racing. But he kind of take that step because if if he would be racing by himself, I think he could go, go with even more or less sleep, you know. Right. He does. He, he doesn't need that much sleep because one of his ideas that I, I, he told me this story. I haven't checked it, so I don't know. But he said like it's uh it was a YouTube or whatever. It was a competition in New York, and there was the, they were they were putting the hand on the car, and yes. the last person they yeah. dropped the hand from the car. And 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 the story for me was that this woman that won this won it like in six days or something like that. So, so the point with that is that he thinks that you don't need to sleep <laughs> at all. It's just mental. Yeah, you can push through it. And that that's 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 where we come from. So you can't beat him with sleep strategies. You need to beat him other ways. And uh, but he, he doesn't like drink more Red Bulls or whatever. He doesn't do caffeine and stuff like that. He has he has strong and and that's the thing. You have kind of. And you know how it's with racing, especially the beginning of your career, you have a lot of sleep monsters, mm-hmm. uh, especially in the nighttime, you get very sleepy. But then after a couple of races, you kind of get in a mode that you understand how it feels and how you should right. protect yourself from that feeling. And I, was, I, I used to say this to people, like, uh, to be a really good adventure racer is that you drink a bottle of alcohol like vodka you you, you can drink uh, a full bottle of vodka and then it's, it's and then you kind of children or your wife uh, bleed to death and you need to jump in the car and you need to f- focus so much so you drive the car like you're sober right that's the adventure racing skills everyone has because you know how when you're so tired on the bike you know it's like you can almost like see the road you know but you still fight through so i'm so assuming that you're not but you're, but you're not recommending you drink the bottle of vodka and drive with the family no 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 of course not. i know the point you're I, making is, I, is that when you find yourself in a race and things are really intense you have the ability well, to snap yourself into being yeah. alert right yeah. i got you and and john <laughs> have a black belt in that right the fact that it's you just know. like, and I think you're right. And I, I think with a lot of a lot of people who who wanting into adventure racing and they want to start, I think the sleep is is a thing for them, right? The the, the lack yeah. of sleep. But I, I've I've seen it and uh, and I've experienced it is that you do begin to build a tolerance to that. Yeah. It's interesting in the in the last several years, and with Viterade might be a good example of that from this year, that the 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 older feeling that you have to move through it no sleep has been replaced by the other people tend to be sleeping a little bit more during races and doing well mm-hmm. and so I'm, I'm curious as to your thoughts on that because viterade was a really interesting example eighth place stuck in the dark zone they found a warm place to sleep off the river and then they just powered through and they came in second do you think that what yeah. do you think led to that because you were there you were on the ground yeah. what factors do you think played in their favor yeah, so the thing that happened there was that, uh, first of all, they, they uh, got two-hour penalty right. because they, did, they didn't stay at the river. Right. So that was super smart to take that, to go out uh, and sleep warm, to get that two-hour penalty. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also, like, I've done a lot of races. I, I, I got caught, like, I think it was Primal Quest. 
few times we would we get caught in the in the dark zone too and we we almost catch all the teams like 12 hours on like two three lost days of the race so the thing like and this is the thing i think this is a very interesting discussion because like in china those stage races mm-hmm. even if you get race for eight nine hours a day you kind of have the same distance totally with the sleep between everything you go with buses to the hotel and everything you have the same distance you cover as in adventure racing right but it's, it's so much faster and then the thing that you can see here is that when you have especially when you have those day three and you have a massive sleep that we the right had the, the, because they get almost down to zero otherwise you accumulate it get you get more tired and more tired and more tired and you get slower and slower and slower but when you get this reset of your system that they that they have on the full night because i think the, the dark zone was between 7 p.m and 5 a.m yeah it was, like a that. Long, it was a long dark zone yeah it was like 10 hours yeah, so yeah so then they recover their bodies they get you know, and you saw the the top teams. They were like shivering. Yep. It was so hard for them. So they were really, really down. And uh, uh, so, so that was the thing. They they got the, they they got this dark zone at the time in the race when it counts the most. So I, I would say, like, if you have hard time and you should, you're not like tough, like soft hot with the sleep, that could actually be a strategy that you right. do. For real, like like you you go fight fight and then you take a massive sleep. The problem with that is that if a dark zone or something happened with the weather or stuff like that, right. you can maybe be too far behind and right. you can't catch them. So the thing, and at, at this point, they couldn't really catch Safa because they they, they were too in right. in front. But for next year, uh, I I can pinpoint a couple of teams that are really really going to to fight for the victory in, in Ecuador. Yes, and and we I would say uh, even if Sofat is have won now and they're my friends, I'm not I will I would not put them at as favorite. I would put Vida Ride and also two or three Ecuadorian teams. Yep. because their home turf is yep. high altitude, and I, I raced in high altitude. It's, it's, no. It's, it's a different ball, different ball. animal altogether. Yep. yep. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so it, it's so hard, and especially with the maps and how you navigate. Because the problem is that if you if you do a wrong turn in Ecuador, it takes hours to get back on route. And mm-hmm. we actually did that when I met Arthur. So, so, um, yeah. So, we, but we the ride. I, I raced against them so many times. I don't know how many hours totally i raced head to head with those guys and i love them and, and they are very good uh very good team and also yoga slackers i raced a lot against uh, now yep. band racing yeah uh, I, I really like them and i i you can so you can see that they have like two teams that are really go going for so well, you, you have the french team you got 400 right there yeah you, 400 yeah. is is also very very good yep. especially when it's much much at the altitude up yep. and down up and down and you can see like the Swedish team, they're a little bit more bigger and it's not better when you go to high altitude. Yeah. So, so, so that's also make an effect. Yeah. I had a chance to go. I raced down in Ecuador in 2021. I did, I did, yeah. I did Santiago's race. And you're right about that, that the elevation is, is incredible. You're at 13, 14,000 feet. And unless you have a lot of time to spend there in advance, you really don't acclimatize. And you and I both know, sometimes you just don't acclimatize. There are some people who just struggle more at elevation. 
Um, I yeah. think you're absolutely right that the the energy coming out of the world championships being in South Africa and credit goes to to, to Stefan Muller and, and, and Heidi for what a race that they put on there. And knowing what a good reputation Santiago has in in, in Ecuador, it's going to be, it's once again, world champs is lining up to be another great race. And to your point, through the strong forces coming off the victory, they're going to have their hands full. There's going to be, what, seven to 10 teams that show up down there that could they're going to fight for the win um, in a completely different geographic setting. I wouldn't say seven to ten, but but I would definitely say five. Uh, it also depends if uh, if Chris Fawn can get a competitive team. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I think that that could because Chris Fawn is he's the animal. Like you can you know if you get, yeah, and, and also he's very strong, and mm-hmm. you can also see how when you we, when you have a team that are not on his physical level or 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 very very hard to take the the punishment like Nathan Fave it's not so many people that can race with him because he's so strong his V2 max are are massive and he can carry so much load and and he goes so fast and it's so easy to get burnout like like's happened this year in this race so but if if uh, if if Chris Ford have a really really good team, um, uh, you know Stuart Lynch, you know he's he's. Uh, I I don't think people talk enough about Stuart Lynch. How much he uh, he make a difference in the team? Like I, I would, Chris Ford is very very good, but I would say Stuart Lynch like he's he's up there. Like right. those guys are so so good because the thing is like. They don't make drama. They just fight. They 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 they, they do carry extra backpacks. They, they are very like smooth operators. So yeah. So that if they come back to Ecuador, oof, they 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 you know that that's 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 the money. If they they can, they could take take one or two like top two or top three in the in coast to coast, and they can win with that. You know, it's it's funny. You know, in in preparing for. For, the, for this interview, and obviously the, the centering point of the interview is the, is the release of, of, of Arthur the King, right? The, the story that we're going to talk a bit about in a second. But I knew going into this interview that you and I could have spoken for an hour and never mentioned yeah, yeah. the book at all, right? Because you, you have such yeah, a, deep, yeah. a deep base of knowledge. And so we're, and so for those of you who are listening here for the Arthur content, we're going to get there in, in a second. Yeah. I mean, um, I always like to, with, with your deep reservoir of experience and all the years that you've done this and all the things you've seen, a lot of the listeners of the dark zone are people who who uses a training tool, right? So they the episodes run about an hour or so, and they they get out there and they and they train. They listen. They listen to this. And they always appreciate it. the feedback I get is they like when when people have a lot of experience share like pearls of wisdom, things that that when they were training themselves, what did they do in the beginning that really was a dividend for them? So when you go back to the beginning of your race now over twenty years now and world championships and so much, when you look back at your the early years in which you were getting into the sport, what did you do well that really helped you out down the road when it came to becoming a new adventure racer? Uh, I never quit. Uh, I had so massive injuries. Like I, think, I, re- I remember, I was uh, my I had my my knees it was very bad injuries a couple of times. Uh, I have in Utah in the Prana Quest. I get really, really bad shaving in, in my my back part, and also like I lost my heel in the World Championship in uh, in France. Like I, it, it it fell off. Like 
I refuse to quit. Uh, I always have that in me. I, I, I don't quit. If I if I can move and I can, I don't quit. And I think that's if you have that mindset that helps a lot in adventure racing because people think like, oh, it's good that you quit because you're throwing up or whatever happens. And but the thing is like, if you're not willing to sacrifice that, you will never perform good in adventure racing. Because the thing like you need to show yourself that you can cope with the, the pain and, and also find solutions. If you are throwing up, you need to fix that. You need to start drinking and eating and drinking and eating and then you come back. But it will take like 24 hours, but you need to do that. And if you just learn yourself to quit when when this happens, you will never win. If, if the team have seen Sofat at the ropes, they will be fight harder. They were they were they were toast. Right. They, right. they, they, could, they couldn't even walk proper. But the team didn't saw that, and right. we didn't post anything on the news and stuff like that. They were toast. But then they get back in the cold water and they can 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 come back to speed again. So the thing is like to to learn and and how to when you get things that happen to you and you get injured or stuff like that. I find a way to fight through it. You know, I, I remember we were racing in, uh, in uh, it was in US, there was a serious event. And uh, Karen get uh, she gets like uh, Achilles, like was, and we asked, okay, fix it. We were, we were in the lead, the French was, the French too, that was hunting us. And we were, okay, down. And then we took a knife and then we cut up the, the back of the, of the shoe so that we take away the pressure. Right, and it maybe took two minutes, and we can go again, and that was the problem solved. But I think a lot of teams they they continue like in the world championship now, for example. I I, I see in the beginning that they're sweating too much; they're going too hard. It's, yep. it's not going to work. And instead of like, okay, guys, we are going too fast. I'm sweating too much. My my, I have my lactic acid is up here, or like the best teams, they they take care of themselves. I think that. Learn the way to find a find a way, but also when you get your injury or you feel something is wrong, fix it direct. Even if it's just thirty minutes in the race or two hours in the race, right. you need to fix your problems instantly. Yeah, that's, a, that's, big, that's a big that's a big problem that beginners make, and even experienced uh, racers too, yeah. the veterans that they they think it's going to go away, and so they don't take care of the the foot, they don't take care of the knee, yeah. they don't address it right away, and all of a sudden it explodes later on down the race. Yeah. So so that's one other thing, and then, and then the, the the last thing that's is more important is that do races not just adventure racing do mountain bike bike races whatever races you can do so you learn how your body feels when you push it and also like when you do those races even if you have race for four or five hours you need to learn to eat because that's also a big problem especially in adventure racing you 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 get so hard in the beginning and so it's like oh you don't eat and drink proper the first two three hours when i was racing I, I was taking my first like energy gel 10 minutes before starch. And then the, the, the second gel or something that I put in my mouth, 25 minutes after the start, even how fast it was, I ate out. I, I, I put energy in. And that's the huge difference when you start to do that and you learn right. like in short races. So that's why sprint races, China, or you have a lot of other beginning racing. Even if you're an experienced racer, go 
to the the short races even if it's not like the competition doesn't matter push 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 eat and drink and you learn a lot because that was the thing for me we had the swedish series the short a lot of short races when we have the time period when we like took the took the the step to be a really good professional international team we raced a lot like swedish against everyone yeah, get out there as much as you can. That's a very common thing is the, yeah. you know, there's the uh, Malcolm Gladwell, the author talks about 10,000 hours is a rough number, right? Yeah. And that's a, the idea that if you want to get, if you want to grow proficient at something, you have to do it repeatedly. You have to be good at it. You have to struggle with it. You have to build, you have to think about it, you know, write about it, reflect on it and get better. And that's what you kind of see in adventure racing. And it's not just, it's everywhere in the world. It's, it's when you sort of, you grow your life and you want to get better at something, it's doing it again and again and again. And I, all the time on the dark zone, we have guests that talk about how when they first started, they really struggled, but they realized that the struggle was part of the deal. And then they got better at it over time. And once they became better at it, then they began to enjoy it. They always enjoyed it, but they enjoy it even more because their proficiency gets better. So that's what you're saying. Like practice all those things. Yeah. And also one other thing in training that make a huge difference for me that if you train for a couple of years and you maybe are 30 years old or something like that, and you train kind of on the same way, if you try try to train proper, like when you do, do distance training, you have low pulse, like right. real low, uh, do 65% of your max. If you can hold 65% on your max distance training, that's not fast in the beginning. But if you can do that, you get so much better. And right. another thing that adventure racers doesn't think they need, but was a huge difference in, in this the interval training. You know, to do hard sessions, right. like hard, 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 like, like you, you, because when I was racing, I was racing with the guys that won the Olympics in 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 biathlon. I was I was training with the guys that did the Olympics in different sports. You know, and and the thing that that I was learned from them, there was that when you go long and and slow, you go slow. Right. When you right. go hard, you go hard as hell. Yeah. And that's the thing that because you then you get your V two max up. Right. And if you can if you can boost your V two max, adventure racing is is going to get easier. You're gonna feel easier because you're not up there. Right. And and if you do proper interval training for maybe a year, you will have the maximum capacity if you train for many years. And and that will help you and it will they will help you to be top five in the world championship, if you just have the knowledge, of course, but that would be my, my tip. Good. And those are, and those are excellent uh, things that I'm sure that the newer racers are going to enjoy hearing that because very often, you know, you hear it from your, you read about it, you hear it from your friends, but they hear some with your experience, talk about it means a lot. So Michael, we could talk all day about your adventure racing, right? But Let's be honest. What really drove me to invite you onto the show is the fact that the trailer, now that it sounds like the actor strikes are kind of ending in Hollywood and it's coming back alive now, is that Lionsgate dropped the trailer for Arthur the King. Um, and and for those of you who are listening who, who, who don't quite know the story, in 2014, when, when Michael was racing in Ecuador in the World Championships, his team picked up a, a canine companion who raced alongside the team um, for, mo- for most of the race. And then the story takes off from there. Um, Michael, how has it been to have such an important life event for you that was so big in your life to be translated into a script and then there'd be actors in a movie? What's What's it been like for you to kind of live through this whole experience? Uh, you know, so- sometimes I wonder that, that myself. And 
to be honest, like even if I'm very strategic and I'm adventurous, I know what to do and stuff like that. I think that the thing that with, with Arthur, it was not planned. It was nothing like, okay, this is a good story and this is blah, blah, blah. We, we, you know, it, for us, when we were racing and Arthur tag along, it was not a big thing. You know, it was not like we did a massive, yes, join us. And, and okay, okay, we did some, some some moves that we you know what kind of stepping out what you're doing when you're racing because obviously i took him the kayak and we would do the paddling and stuff like that but besides that it was we had uh at that point when he was joining it was it was not a sacrifice for us like okay well we have to carry the dog around that was not the thing he was just there <laughs> yeah and he, yeah so that that's the thing when when we came to this transition area this was the second last transition area and we had uh, kind of not given up but but almost and and remember the american team techno mm-hmm. so so techno just went out just before the transition area we were like okay wow and they i think they were like in fourth place or something like that and we we're like okay we still have chance maybe top three you know podium we we haven't given up so when we came into this transition area with our bikes, I still remember like, you know how it is after a while, you have half the bike box is full with gear and trash. So I just <laughs> pull, pull, my, pull my bike in, in like really squeeze it in right. because I was like in a hurry. And we, at this race, we were supposed to take out, I think it was like six or eight hours mandatory sleep. So we had two hours left. So we knew that, okay, two hours, we had two hours here. Uh, but I was like, okay, because I that was one of my things when I was racing. I always knew how long we had left to the finish, give it take for a couple of hours. So we knew that, okay, we only have like two, two and a half days to the finish. So we were like eating and, and fix my gear, I was changing. And okay, we're doing for this this massive jungle trekking everyone was warning for and stuff like that. So we were like, okay, prep for this. And... When I had squeezed my bike into bike box and I'm eating my meatballs, I have like a build like a square. You know how it is. You, sure, you yeah. kind of want to have your 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 personal place. And and then when I eating the the the, the meatballs, I, I I felt like someone are really close to me and just looking at me. And I turned my head. I think I was to the right. I didn't see anyone, but, but to the left, it was this stray dog, and this was maybe two and a half yard meters from me. And he was looking at me and I was like, the first thought for me was like, Oof, don't come close to me because I can't even smell. You know, he was smell like rotten flesh. And I saw he was bleeding from his back. And you know how you think when you meet stray dogs or racing, right. you don't yeah. want to get bit and, and all stuff and, like and that. And in Ecuador, they were everywhere. I mean, there were. Yes. I, mean, I remember in one transition area, there were dogs just roaming around. I mean, so there's that's very much the culture of that country that there's stray dogs in keto and everywhere. So, for you to see a stray dog was not an uncommon thing to happen at that time. But there was something yeah. different about Arthur. Yeah. So the difference was that he just stood there, and I was fixing, and I still was eating. He stood in the same place, and I was like, okay. So I was like, no one can never be nice to him because he looked like he went to war and back. So. So I, I gave him a couple of meatballs on, on the ground in front of him. And I gave him maybe 10 seconds of atten- attention. 
maximum. And then we put our stuff together. And then Team Safat, my former mm-hmm. team members, they were just, I think it was like nine, 10 minutes before us. So we knew that, okay, we're going to catch them early so we can follow them through the jungle. So we kind of ran away and, and, and it was like a, a small road that went up from the village and then was supposed to come to this jungle. And when it gets dark, we, we looked back and, and in, in, in the, and in, in, in the, in the, in my headlamp, the light on my headlamp, I saw I saw I saw a dog that was hollow, and I didn't know that that was the same dog I gave the meatballs. I was like, okay, that's a dog, and I make a joke to the other Swedish team that you have a dog with you, <laughs> and then they stop, and we continue, and we stop for a while. I think Karen wants to change the headlamp or something like that, and we stop and for for a couple of seconds, and then the dog came came up to us and then I like, whoa, that's the same dog I get the meatballs to. So I don't know how much time, but it was a couple of case and maybe one hour or two hours, something like that from the TA. And uh, yeah, he was just down there and he was like, okay, are you, and I spoke Swedish, spoke Swedish with him and said like, are you sure you're going to join us? Because we're going through the jungle. <laughs> so we started the jungle and, and then the mud began and it was like so deep and we were fighting and I was kind of running and sliding and we were like, oh, and then we have on this stage, we were we had a GPS because we didn't was in the tracks. Everyone, all the team was mandatory to have a GPS. But the problem with the GPS is that you need to have it zoom out if you zoom in too much, it looked like this. You're right. on the race, right? So we went wrong, and we went to the jungle, and we almost fell off a cliff. And and then finally, we went back to the to the trailer, and and, and then I remember it was like a, then the morning came up, and you know how it is in the jungle, mm-hmm. like everyone, everything wakes up, and we are sat down on the on the on, on the log, and I, I was like. Anyone have anything more to eat? Like, because we have a couple of like, you know, those dry power bars, and and then Simon he took up like two of those meatball packages, and I was like, wow, he carried those on this Good job, Simon. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then and then then I then I, then we fixed them because you have this membrane and you get it. You know how you how you get the the food warm and you do you do some water and you need this chemical remote reaction and it mm-hmm. get hot so we did that and i took two bites and i get say simon and and uh, he took he also took a bite and then another kind of this small creek karen and stefan sat there and stefan didn't really like this and and karen she don't want to have anything because behind me arthur he, he has the name Arthur now. Uh, he was just lying down like this, and we didn't even spoke about it. But it felt like the one that needed the most the the food was Arthur. Right. So I took this leaf and I put all the food on it, mm-hmm. and and he he ate everything. Uh, and 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 then people like after the race, like, why did you do that? Because. Obviously, everyone I've seen the pictures when we came out from the jungle, we we almost didn't make it. So, uh, but it felt like he needed the most, and he he became kind of a fifth team member because in the jungle, especially when you do adventure racing, you you get very close to your team members, 
and you also get like and and then Arthur he was became became one of us and he showed us some way sometimes and so we kind of okay you know how it is you you always give the food and the drinks to the one that needed the most so we did that and uh, so then we came almost to the transition area and and when that came and when we came there we have this one of our teammates were, we had to do, get the IV and we were stayed there for four hours and then the tide came in so we had to wait three more hours and then we were then we were paddling to the finish line almost all, the whole way and and so so we put our kegs carrying stuff and just started paddling and, and me and Simon was paddling and I, I remember I was looking at, at Arthur and said like okay uh we need to go there and then and then the personnel and the transition they were like you can't bring the dog it's too dangerous you go through mangroves tides and you know everything and i understand that it was stupid to bring a dog in a kayak you know you know those plastic they are not that big either so we start to paddle and and uh, maybe 10 15 strokes and then i just heard a splash and i turn my head and then Arthur was starting to swim behind us and you know what I don't know what shall we do you know so I just said some stop and and I just we wait for him and then I took him into the to the to the kayak and put in my knee and I still remember that I made an active decision because we haven't been that close it still smelled really really bad and I knew that he was sitting in my lap. He can e- easily bite me or, or give me disease. And and um, but the thing is, like when you do adventures, adventures like this, you are more like mm, you kind of prep yourself for for unnatural things. So I'm, I'm already a little bit mental, like okay, whatever it takes. But I remember that I thought, okay, if 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 Arthur gonna sit here, you need to show him love and that he can be here. You can't like be like that and, and force him away from you uh so i remember okay if he bites you and if you get sick by this this is your decision you're doing right now and uh, now it feels like easy <laughs> but it was not easy at that time but you know and then and then we just paddler and he jumped in the water we came to this and we, we had to stop and put him into in, in our lap again and we were almost finished with the paddling. We we paddled through this this village, and then Arthur jumped into the water and ran into the village. And I was like, "Okay, this was maybe his end station." <laughs> and uh, and then we just, we just continued paddling. And this this village was pretty couple of kilometers, I think. And then we almost like left the village. And I was like, okay, maybe, yeah, okay, he's he's gone. <laughs> this was his end destination. And, but then we just saw him in the corner, and he was like, coming, running, <laughs> jumping into the water in front of the kayaks, and like, okay, you can take me up again. <laughs> so, so I took him up again in the kayak, and and then we finished. And the last couple of cases, we just walk on the street to the finish line together, and and now. This was the World Championship, obviously. So it was a lot of media and and Facebook. And this is was the those early viral success when you get the story out. So we didn't know that we didn't know this, but when we were out there, it was a story was out there with pictures of Arthur and that Arthur have 
follow us to the race. So there was like everyone kind of knew it when we reached the finish line. So let me let me uh, if I may, I'm can I read to you a passage from yes. the book? Yes. So this goes back to the scene in which you're going through the jungle together and your and the meatball bags and and the, the food. I looked back at the dog. He was lying there quietly as if the only thing in his world that mattered was to be there sitting on the ground by my side. He must have smelled food. He must have been aware that we were sitting about and going to eat something, but he didn't fuss. He didn't beg. He just lay there quietly every now and then looking up just to make sure that we were still there. I looked down at him again. He couldn't be thirsty. Then after he'd gulped down half the river so noisily, and it was unlikely he was expected back home anywhere anytime soon for his tea. I began to think that maybe he was on his own and maybe he was in exactly as much trouble as I thought he was when I first saw him. Yes, Karen's voice interrupted me. Yes, I said, this fellow's nearly had it, but we could help him. What do you think, everyone? My team, my mates all nodded. I stood up and in the midst of all the worry about our time, about our route, I thought for a moment about what a real team decision is. It might be which route to take, when to sleep, when to carry or be carried. But sometimes it's a completely different sort of team decision. This was ours. I thought as I got up and went into the jungle, our decision was to give to somebody something that they needed more than we did. In the beginning of our interview, you talked about the, the go, go, go nature of, of racing and that you, you're strong and you go forward and you, and, you, and you go through whatever obstacles in your way. And then in that moment in, in, the, in the race, in that moment in your team experience and in your lives, that was put to the side. It feels like so quickly and so easily. Talk a bit about that. Why was that such an easy decision for the team to make? To be honest, it was not easy. And uh, it, was, it, was, it was never easy. And, and the thing is, like, when you read the book, it's more like thoughts like that. But we were, had raced for like four or five days now. So uh, we didn't talk so much about it. More, more like when you read the book, we you trying to explain the situation and stuff like that. But and, and to be honest, like I, I don't. I, I think like all the adventure racers out there that are listening to this show and, and read the book would have done the same thing. This is where we come from. This is what we do. Um, and and I remember times during me, my career, like we did the primal quest and uh, we were we were running out of water and we just had the shade. We were like sitting on second place and and uh, we're sitting there without any water and and uh, the the team is passing us and I asked like uh, Richard like do you have any water and he has. On his, you know, the, the, the water bottle on, on his chest, he has like maybe this left and he gave everything to me and everyone was exhausted with, with no water, nothing, but he gave away his last water and we were competitors, competitors like, mm -hmm. uh, and I think, so the, the, the thing that I'm, I'm, I'm kind of thinking the way I'm I, I trying to think is like when you when you do racing adventure racing even if the world championship and if if someone is in need you can see like uh, that happened in 
in Alaska a couple mm-hmm. years ago with yoga slackers. Yes. And they just, just okay, everything happened. Okay, one fell in the, the traverses in the yeah. in the glacier. Yeah, Jason fell in the ground. Yeah. And and that's the thing, like you in adventure racing community, you of course you want to win, but you don't win on the cost on other t- other on their members backs. and other teams. Right. And 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 that's also happened like later that stage even it was uh, when we had to carry one of our team members, one Ecuadorian team passed, and they saw that we were so bad, and and we we didn't really speak English, and and they can't speak English either. But he has stopped and grabbed his in his backpack, and then he took out like a full half liter of Gatorade and gave us to us gave it to us. This is like we're racing top five here in the world championship. And they stop and give us the Gatorade. And I think that's that's the soul of this sport. And so so when you have that in mind, does it then it make more sense sure. that we did what we did with Arthur. Right, because he had because been with all, you for a while. All, right. Yeah, and all the teams that I raced against and with, even if there were rivers and whatever people around them, I knew that if I would be in trouble they will help me right? and I right. will help them. Yeah. And that, and that's, and that was there. And, and, and that's clearly, that's what you, you all transferred to Arthur, uh, a, a byproduct of doing an expedition level race is that when the race starts, your world becomes very small. It's you, it's your teammates, it's the maps and it's the course. So here you are, you're racing in Ecuador. Arthur's coming along with you, the, 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 the feeding the meatballs, taking care of him, getting him in the boat, finishing with him. What was the shock like for you to walk off the course, this self-contained course of just like your life being very small with the dog and all of a sudden the whole world is paying attention to you? It must have been, you're tired enough as it is coming off the race. That must have been something else. Yeah, and, and, and to be honest, I have no idea what to do. Uh, the thing that I need, that we need to do is to take into a vet, you know, to, right. to take care of his wounds and stuff like that. And but then I was all thinking like, okay, he was really, really damaged from the start. And he was following us, follow us for, I don't know how many K- kilometers, right. but two and a half days. Like he didn't want to go back. And I think it was an Ecuadorian team that told, said, said this to me when we, after we finished, like you should adopt him. And I was, I was like adopting. And I was like, yeah, yeah. Maybe so. The, and then one one other friends like texted me and said, like, "You should." I heard about this, and and someone did this before. And you called agri- agriculture in Sweden, so I did that. I called them and I said, "Like this is Mike, because now this is a pretty big news in Sweden too." So so they have read about this, and I said, "Like okay, this is Michael here in Ecuador. I would like to adopt Arthur home." And, and they ask, okay, and uh, and I'm flying home in like four days or something like that. Okay. I like I like uh, the part in the book, by the way. If I if I could once again go into the book here, the race is over. You're 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 in the in the jungle for so long. You give your wife a call, right? And if the first thing you say to her is Helena, I said as soon as she answered, "We're going to be four. I'm going to bring Arthur home." There is only the shortest pause before she replied, "Of course you are," she said. Yeah. So, 
this was just the start of the journey. I had no idea that I would pull this off or not. But I knew that my never give up attitude that had been following me for many, many years would help me in, in some way. And well, it's the same honest, thing, right? Co- it's, that, it's that don't quit. It's that <laughs> we're going to solve this problem. We're going to do the next thing we got. It's all the adventuring experience. So all your adventuring experience, the most important application of that experience had nothing to do with an adventure race, but instead of getting Arthur home. Yeah, so so they, when I called them, they said like, yes, you can if you do it. They have this checklist, maybe 10 points, something like that. I, I, I stopped listening because I just heard it's possible. And uh, to be honest, like when we came, and then we kind of tried to fix Arthur and, and we, we, we took it to the vets that helped him in, in Ecuador, but... This will never have happened if not Lord Guau have contacted us when we come to to Quito. And they stood there like, okay, we want to help. And they helped us with the vets and everything to fix everything with cages, you know, to, to get to have a we, we, we also get the police to get him stay there at the police station. You, you, they helped us with everything. And I, I, I don't, to be honest, I didn't understand what's and it was a lots of attention in Ecuador. And I was like, as you said, like you have a lot of stray dogs in Ecuador. And I couldn't understand why do people care now? You know, it was like super strange for me. And and I understand later when I come home. But the thing that happened is was the same day I landed in, in Quito on the 31st October, uh, two organizations, uh, they, they uh, put in a... a a new proposal called Loba Law. And this Loba Law was a new law that gave the, their dogs and, and all the animals the same rights you have in the U.S. and Sweden. So when we come 14 days later during this adventure race and we take care of this dog, I didn't understand it, but we were uh, we were kind of the front guys for the new law called Loba Law. So that's why it was so much interest in, in, in Ecuador that, okay, these people from Sweden, they care about our dogs, but we don't do the by, but we don't do it by ourselves. And I think that's the thing that you know everything happened. And, and this is gonna be my call for the, 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 the four years that was coming. So we started Art Foundation and the Art Foundation's major goal was to support the Loba law. And right. it went through April 2018. And that I'm very proud of. And 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 so from that that simple act in in the jungle, right, taking care of Arthur, all this goodness has flown from there, this story. And and obviously, you know, Hollywood loves a good story. So what what's the experience been like having your personal experience be translated onto the big screen? Was it what was that process like for you to to go through the the, the the rights to the book and then the, the the actors and and how much of a role did you play in the film in terms of being an advisor? Um, I think you see the trailer. Yes. Uh, and as adventure racer, it looks pretty okay. And and well, not okay. I think it looked really 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 well, good. I mean, it's... I mean, you know, yes, we we talked a lot about it, right? And the yeah. we see the ARWS yeah. logos it's... up there. We see the yeah. It, it, it looks like it looks like yeah. the things we experience in races. No, yeah. So so the thing was like, 
I knew this is this is gonna be on me, you know. And I, I, I said to, from the first beginning, I want this as close to the truth as right. possible. I understand we need to do changes, maybe countries, whatever we have to do. But I really, really like the, the adventure racing part, right. and especially also the big part that make Arthur Arthur right. is so accurate as possible. And uh, you know, when we start, when it gets really like, okay, we're doing this movie. Uh, I really, I, I work day and night, obviously day and night uh, with the set decks to get everything how it should look like, mm-hmm. the transition areas, finish, start, houses, equipment. Mm-hmm. I work with props, you know, you see in the movie, you have specialized bikes, you have Solomon shoes, they have the same brands that I was sponsored yeah. by when I was racing. Uh, and also like, the customs, uh, you know, to, to get everything right. I took the, I took the Prime Quest bib, right, and then and then we tested on Mark, mm-hmm. and then we changed everything with because a lot of like adventure racing bibs are a little bit too narrow around the, the shoulder part, especially when you paddle, you get a little bit shaving. Mm-hmm. So we changed that. So we did this, this perfect model, <laughs> adventure racing bib with the right logos, like the adventure racing world champion, yeah. exactly how the bib looked and, and the design and everything. Uh, and, and we actually had that made here in Sweden. We flew one guy with the bibs to Dominican Republic. And we had like two, three days spare before we start shooting. Uh, but that bibs, they are the same quality. They have the same mesh. You have everything. And for me, it was so important to get it right. And I was like, with Mark, I, I fixed the gear to have it like a proper way with the headlamps. And right. and also like the when we arrived there, like the 1st of, uh, of January, first of all, it was during COVID. So we had... Yes, when uh, was the filming? Was it January of 21? Yeah. Yes. So it was the, the COVID in the world was so hard and, and, the, and the crew and everyone was so anxious and uh, some of them also afraid of the COVID because we didn't really know. So we did this, uh, well, not we, but the organization uh, build a, a COVID bubble like the, you have in NHL and hockey and, and right. NBA in, in basketball. So we build that. So we had this sealed community in these hotels and then we just drew the cars and we had like only like three, four person per car. We had the, the sets and we, we had COVID tests like three, four, five times a week. And, and if someone gets something, you take them away. So, so it was a, a huge stress to get everything right. But during this time period, at especially the first month, um, I also know that, okay, if you, if you want to get this really, really accurate, we need also have like to get the actors and the stunts and all those guys right. to do this proper to look good. So I don't know how many hours we spend paddling, you know, to to learn the, the all the actors to paddle correct, you know, because it's so easy to see if you don't have a good technique. So we did that a lot, and also like running with backpacks and how you drink with the bottles, how you carry the helmet, how you have your Oakley glasses, how you put it on your helmet to look good. like all those details. I was on all the time, like helping the guys. Like, okay, this is not how we have it. Have it here. Try here. You can even see uh, if you really have the details on. You can because in our team, we also all everyone in the team have a, 
a color, a tape color that we put on the backpacks and, you know, all the teams yeah, have it sure. today. You, you can see like Mark have a red tape like I had. So, you know, all those details. We also have, we even have the the packs. We, we When we did racing and a lot of the top teams, they do, they pack the food in six hour box, right. bags and then you can put it in the bags They're like the tra- in the transition. Yeah, interchangeable. We, we had the, so yeah, so we had the, the the bags for that with the right things like with a Red Bull or protein shake, bars, some candy, some food. You know, we, we had all the details was like top, top, top on everything. So I have a hard time explaining adventure racing at the at the Thanksgiving table to my family. Yeah. I can't imagine <laughs> what it was like for you to explain adventure racing to an entire Hollywood production. So here's my question for you, because now, because you alluded to it before, there's a little bit of responsibility now. Like, we're not a very big community, right? And yeah. so you got to kind of get this right, right? You want it, you don't want to have... So, so were there any parts about adventure racing from a, a, a process perspective? You mentioned the packs and the gear and the maps that they wanted to change something. And you were like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, for example, like, like they should get to carry a GPS the entire time. No, no, no we don't do that in adventure racing. Or... Uh, Mark doesn't want to wear a helmet when he's riding his bicycle. No, 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 no. We don't do that. Like, were there any things that you had to educate the 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 the, the producers and the directors about? Like, this this has to be. We can't take this out. Did you saw the trailer on the maps? That was a, a, a color on the map. Yeah. Of where they were, where they going? Yes. You know, that's the details. I I was. Like, this is very important. You know, and I drew all the maps, and we have like. 10 different maps and I already drew them all like I wanted to be correct and so we, when you sh- when you show the map that it was correct and and you all did this stage we have the GPS and then we have the GPS I don't want them to have the the, comp- the the map in the hand and now they have the map in their hand okay but then we don't have can have the GPS so so I was really like on point of things like that and you know it's it's I I thought that uh and also like the scenes with, with Arthur, you know, some of the scenes are so, so, so accurate to the right. real thing that I, I actually, I was crying, you know. How I was that my, for you? What was that like for you to, to, to relive oh it that way? No, no, it's actually start like day two of shooting or maybe what day three or something like that it was on the river and no, it was on the ridge. Uh, and, and everything happened so accurate. So I was like my Oakley glasses and I was like crying underneath <laughs> the Oakley glasses. It was so accurate. And the things like, the thing that happened in this movie is, is exactly the thing that happens during adventure racing. Someone is throwing up. Someone gets injured. You're tired. You get sleep. You're tired. You get, you get, you get cold. You know, everything happens. So, so for adventure racer, it's 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 so accurate. Some Good. things you will find. Oh, maybe that's not correct, but yeah. But it's that's well, very very little. We have to we have to recognize the fact too that this is a, a it's a Hollywood mm-hmm. production, and every single true story that is adapted for a mass audience, there is always a change inside that production, and and people may carry on about it on the message boards, and like no, like I'm I'm telling the world now in advance, don't do that. Love the fact that this incredible story is coming out into the world and, and our sport is getting such a big spotlight on it. Yeah. Did you, what was it like when they told you it was Mark Wahlberg and then he was going to adapt it? Like, 
Like, were other actors, did you know if other actors were considered? Was it always going to be him? Did people drop out? Do you even know any of that stuff? Yeah, 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 yes. So actually, that's that's cool because all the producers, they were very accurate and, and told me, like, okay, this is the next step. What do you think about this and this guy and stuff like that? And it was another, another, another actor that was supposed to be before Mark, like a year or something before that. Right. But then... Uh, I just heard that, okay, Mark wants to see the script. Okay, and you know, in this industry, okay, it will take a half a year or three months or right. whatever, like. And then it just took a couple of days, like, okay, Mark is in. He believes in the story so 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 much, so he's in. Like that that happened like that. He had kind of read the script and said, okay, I want to do it. So he come from like, I want to do this. You know, he, right. that's the way it started. And, and I also, I haven't, like, I haven't seen the numbers, but I get told that to make this happen, he put down his fee dramatic right. just to make this movie. So, uh, so, so he was like in from the, from the very, very start. It's very clear that in, in his maturation as an adult, that he's, he's trended towards roles that are much more positive. And so to his credit, the fact that he was willing to, to to lower his fee to make it speaks to the power of the story and how important it is. Yeah, 100%. And the thing is, like, now I kind of, and I know him, uh, and, and the thing is, like, I never met the person, like, John, we talked about John before before <laughs> this in, in this episode. Uh, he had a really, really strong mind. But he's he's up there with Mark, maybe with Mark Wahlberg. I, I I never met a person that are so uh, have so much willpower and so have so much work ethic. The thing is, like the first dinner when when we came to to the set and we had or to to the we were living, we had this dinner and we sat down and he said, Michael, I think we have to go up early this this to this shoot to have everything in time. And I was like, okay, because obviously I have read about his mental in his health that he's had this 5 a.m. club and go up early and stuff like that. So I understand, okay, he, that's the thing. And then he started to go up like 2 to 2.30, like 2.15. That was his like morning routine. And he had his, have you, have you seen the entourage? <laughs> you do the movie Entourage of the Serious? Yep. That, that's the thing. He had like 10 people around him. So they had to go up like two two thirty, and then they train for two hours. And after the training, he did the massage and take care of his body. And then he he read the script for two hours. So before everyone even go up, he have already done the preparation for the day. He had been training and 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 done everything. And some of the scenes he he do like a monologue for four and a half five hours and. When you do a, a when you do a scene, you kind of shoot it like eight times, like mm -hmm. from one side, and then you turn around, and then you do it from the other side to get all the angles for the face and stuff like that. And he nailed that, that monologue like eight times in a row, and I think that stays a lot. And the thing is also like like when I been working with him so closely, I kind of understand the how he what called how he act. And the thing is, like, because you have a lot of acting schools in Los Angeles and Hollywood, you should mm -hmm. act like this, blah, blah, blah. You heard stuff like that. He don't act. He is. He is, right. Gotcha. 
that the person you see on the screen is from a person he is in, in life. No, you know, when he is, uh, he is a professional adventurer. So when he, when you see on the screen, he's a professional athlete, a professional, so, and that that's the thing. Like he is so into his role, so he has become this adventurer. So we, when uh, from time to time when they make movies, like when they uh, when they filmed um, Platoon, Oliver Stone took the 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 actors out and they 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 went to like to boot camp, right? And when you baseball movies, they go to uh, they go to spring training. Did you run any sort of like to give the 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 rate the actors a sense of the race? Did you take them out into the woods and have them do adventure racing? No, no, no. We we not did that boot camp thing, but right. we trained a lot before the, the, the week we were the, the weeks like almost a month before to make them paddling and everything like that but also you should know one thing with with, with mark is he's, he's a super athletic he's trained every day a couple of hours uh and, and his physical status he's i think he's like 50 years old now or right. 51 something like that mm-hmm. and he's like 21 so so that's the thing and and also like when you do a movie like this, you don't try to suffer more and make it harder than it is. Right. Like it, is it's, it's, it is pretty tough to be an actor, if it, even if it looks soft, because that was one of the things that that when I was in this movie and made this movie, I, I didn't understand how hard job it was, because I'm from Sweden, you, you talk about Hollywood, you see the red carpet, you think, oh, that's cool, it's soft. But those guys, they were hardworking people, like right. hardworking, like unbelievable mornings, so early, all the way, all the night, barely sleep, go back at it, and really, really hard. And, you know, and I think, like, to be honest, I think Mark, he, he set the tone for the whole for the whole shoot. Like, he, he, he was working hardest and grew up and, and he kind of motivated all the others and 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 I tried to do that too of course to 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 step up to the plate and I think that's the combination was that's why we have a movie on this level and that's and clearly the the, the point you're making there is that the, the the person whose name sits above the title sets the tone for the entire production right and so therefore yeah. he was there and, and you, you always hear nightmare stories about how these shoots just go terrible right the stars can't be found they're not preparing and it clearly one thing that Mark did coming onto the set was that right away he made certain that that there was a certain tone that was set that he recognized that he had a commitment to everybody else. And there's a bit of a Venn diagram of how an adventure uh, racing team works, a movie production works, how we live our lives. It all kind of comes together. Michael, you, you've been very generous with your time, and I, I, I appreciate it. For the, for those who are listening right now, it's now it's uh it's nine thirty at night at uh at, at, in Sweden where Michael's coming from, and I am so grateful that he was willing to to, to do this for the dark zone. As we as we wrap up this 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 episode here, and and I think I'm going to come back and get you back on again after the movie comes out. We could ch- chat a bit more about the movie. I want to be thoughtful about the plot and about what happens in the movie. So we're not going to talk a whole lot else about that. But in closing, as you sort of reflect on this entire experience, right? And you've lived inside this world now for close to ten years, and and I think what makes this conversation a bit different than other conversations is, is that at your core, you're an adventure racer. And here you are talking to your community and you spend so much time translating adventure racing to the rest of the world. You don't have to do that here because the people that are listening are in the same tribe as you. They're in the same group as you. What do you want to to leave as your closing thoughts about the book and about the movie and about your own experience as we finish up the episode? Yeah. First of all, like I, I, I feel the love from the sports. Uh, it was a great honor to be a hall of fame. 
um, now in South Africa. And I, I really feel the support that, that because that was the one of the things that I was really worried about, like, okay, I'm doing this. First of all, I, I made this book uh, and, and it was a bestseller, but also like, I made this movie and, and of course you feel like okay it's a big responsibility as, as you said and and but the love i feel the support i feel for the community is 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 unbelievable and i feel the love and i really feel like okay we have done something good here and and i i hope like everyone that sees the movie can feel the hard effort we put in because this is seven years of of a project that we will see here in March 22nd. So, so I really hope that people see see that. And 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 also the one other thing is like you should also remember this is a movie, and if you want the true story uh, about Ecuador and everything about racing and how exactly everything happens, you will have the book. And and so so that's the thing. Like it, this is also Hollywood, and and it, it's made everything. And we tried everything we can to make it, you know, as as good as it gets. Especially like, just to get give an example, we, if they are running, I knew because I could, I know the script, and I I have been racing by myself. I I tried to help the actors to run at the the right speed because you know in adventure racing, if you start on a running, you run pretty fast. Right. But day five, you run you run in a different way. So mm-hmm. actually. I trained the actors to run with a backpack day five. So so that's the level of the, the, the details we really, really try to set. So you will find stuff, okay, that was oh not the best strokes in the paddling and stuff like that, but that's small details. But the big picture and especially the transitioners and everything they build up, this was like adventure racing in the Olympics. That's how it looks. And, and, and one of the things like, you can see it in the, in the trailer, but it, it, there are a couple of stunts that are so cool, like so cool that that really, really put everything on the on the on the on the seats. Like you know, and and, and um, Simon, the, the director, he, the passion he have to nail everything is is unbelievable. And then all the crew members, I I remember <laughs> we would have this drone shooting with with red camera, like. And then I saw the guy that hold the hold the you know the zoom thing, mm-hmm. and I saw on his backpack. So it, it was like Black Hawk Down. So I said to him because Black Hawk Down is one of my favorite movies. Where were you? Were you uh, working on uh, Black Hawk Down? And he's like, Yeah, I was in charge of all the uh, footages of the helicopters. <laughs> so so that that's the level of this this crew you know the, the guys that do the sound is the guy that make the the big movies the, the last 10 years like the crew is insane they are they were so hard working and they was the hollywood's the best of the best and then add to that all the crew from dr that made everything and they worked so hard and they put the effort you know and and we did this during the covid you know so every all the face masks it was in the jungle like 30 degrees and they already was so important to get you know to to fit, to get all everyone safe you know so everyone was so careful with the with the, the mouse protection everything so the effort to have this movie out on this, on this cinemas is insane it's, it's they, they say like 
and, and they say like uh, in the normal year, they like you have hundred scripts, a hundred thousand scripts in, in Los Angeles, Hollywood. They want to make a movie. And a normal year, maybe hundred of them get right. to be a movie. But during this COVID period, we had like five, ten scripts that get take to, to get to the to the cinema, and we are one of them. So I hope really people see this effort and 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 support it. And I think that, and I think for the community of adventure racing, I, I talked a lot with, with Heidi, Heidi Miller, the, the, the CEO of adventure racing. This is the opportunity, and I, I wouldn't really like to say this to the adventure community, is that this is the opportunity to finally people understand what we have done, the passion, that they will see it. And also like you guys that struggle with sponsorships and stuff, now you have now that is the time to to reach out to the community to brands like the, because people know, will know about that adventure racing so the the time is now and i think this is the opportunity that adventure racing have been waiting after like the eco challenge and everything this is mm-hmm. the the next step and the adventure racing world series are, are are going to be the ones that make the step i think it's it's funny to say that, right? Because you when when Eco Challenge Fiji came out during COVID, everybody thought that that was going to be once again adventure racing was going to be a big splash culturally. That was a great TV show, and then they they talked about Patagonia and they were going to cast it, and then Amazon pulled all the funding, so he kind of went down a little bit now. And then here we go, coming off a, a great world championship that we just had in South Africa. We talked about that before. Huge numbers. A lot of people watched it. Very, very popular. All the regional races around the world, everything we're seeing, the national championships. And now the movie coming out, to your point, all those points are kind of meeting. Um, you know, I, I was talking to someone the other day and they were kind of lamenting the idea that they like the idea that adventure racing is like this quiet niche sport off to the side. And they were they were concerned about all this tension. And my, my answer to them was the idea is just, just wrap your arms around it and just enjoy it. The fact that we, we yeah. enjoy the sport so much, the fact that we really have a great time talking about it, a great time racing, making it what it is, that this is really an opportunity for us to, to show the world what kind of sport adventure racing is. And I think that if we stay true to our soul, right, who we are, the kind of sport that we are, those that love it will get drawn into the race. Those that that don't love it will 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 not race. And that's just the way it's going to be. And I think it's a it's a tremendous opportunity. And I love the fact that we get to do this. Right. The fact that we get to talk about it, that a movie coming out about Arthur, what a great story that is in your life being on screen, Mark Wahlberg and Simone Liu and all of that happening. Um, I just think it's great for the sport. And I think that we should just, you know, enjoy the heck out of it while it lasts. Right. Because March is going to come and go and the world's going to move on to the next thing. So right now, live it up. Yeah, 100 percent. Take the opportunity. And then also like the thing that I think now when people going to know about adventure racing, Instead of like, okay, I, I want to do my session. Bring on your, bring on your friends. Like, make make them do some adventure racing with you. Like, if if everyone grow a little bit, like like we did, like we had the open training camps. Mm-hmm. Do that. Get new people into the sport because the the sport will now open. So instead of like the same people are are. Or maybe going for the special forces or, or the CrossFit games or or Iron Man or something like bring them into adventure racing because that's kind of the same people. This is a and to be honest, like because of the adventure racing sport, I, I raced almost twenty years and the, the thing that I have discovered and I raced in like almost sixty countries and and the memories I have is is unbelievable because we don't go to an arena. 
they all will look the same. We 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 go to the countries and always we almost goes to the the places that no tourists are are allowed or even like have been there before. So that's the thing. You you kind of discover all those countries in in a natural way that you meet the people that are not used to tourists and, and that you, you can really meet the, the right people. And for example, when I was racing in China, I met like normal people in the street and they are exactly as the Swedish people. Yeah, so I agree with that. But well, you're absolutely right about that. The fact that the sport itself, I had the same thing when I raced in Ecuador and I saw it when I raced in other parts of the world, you get the places that only adventure racing can take you to. And you, you earn you earn the village that you walk down the center of and you talk to the local inhabitants and you eat their food and you get to know them. And that's what adventure racing does in such a massive way that people kind of miss that. They think it's really just about like the gur and the sweat and the maps and the, and the, but it's more than that. It, it, it's, it's a crash course in a, in a local cultural history. And I think you're spot on about that when you talk about it that way. Yeah. hundred percent. It's, it's uh, yeah. So it's, it's uh, to, to me is the, it's the best sport in the world, and and to be honest, I miss it every day. I I would love to do come back. You know, I would love to take the the, the bib on to get to again. You know, I would love to go back to Ecuador and racing. You know that 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 would be a dream for me, and especially with Santi and his team. You know, as you said, coming from South Africa with Hayden and Stefan making massive great event and now we come to ecuador and they are really really good to do events so we are the future looks really really bright for adventure racing for sure no but the thing is like with it's, it's easy to you know when you start to talk about adventure racing i can talk about adventure racing so many like hours you know <laughs> and it, and it, it's, it's so funny because the thing is like also like when you even if you have you ever thought about that some international like top teams they are from different cultures like uh, especially nick he raced with a lot of mm-hmm. other people other culture but that's the thing is like you don't need to be from the same country and speak the same language if you're a top adventurer so you can mm-hmm. you can you can almost race in in whatever team Right. Yeah, you just know. It's, yeah, it, you're right. The you language know, doesn't matter. Yeah, no, 100%. And the thing is, like, the thing that I also think with this movie is that imagine how many artists out there still that are mm-hmm. going to be, he's going to get a new home. Mm-hmm. And also, like, do, and then the thing that I, I'm thinking too is, like, imagine if this movie can stop one abuse of right. a dog. Then it's a victory. Yeah. Well, there you have it, folks. Episode number 85 of The Dark Zone. A mega episode. Our longest episode ever. Ever. Thank you, Michael Lindnord, for being so gracious with his time. We, we kept talking afterwards, and he, he couldn't stop talking about adventure racing and all the fun he has out there. He'll be back, folks. Have no worries. He'll be back. I want to thank our friend Jade Eagles over at thewealthgardenfs.com for sponsoring this episode. We love that a fellow adventure racer is getting involved in supporting the Dark Zone. And of course, do not forget about Ascend Athletics. Do not forget about them. They do a great job taking care of young women in Afghanistan and Pakistan, and we are happy to use our platform to spread word of their good work. Be sure to go check out their new initiative, Invest in Her, at their website, ascendathletics.org. Thank you for being here. 
Thank you for being a listener. We're closing in on late fall, winter here in the Northern Hemisphere. A lot of training going on, a lot of preparation for next year, a lot of great races on the way. And we hope that you are making good use of this time for your training and your listening and being part of our adventure racing community. Thank you for all that you do for the sport and thank you for being here. Keep training and be safe.